they've actually turned around and become profitable. I mean, this was just one of those Zerp businesses. Like their internal valuations, they cut from 40 billion to 13 billion over the past two years. They got that network effect. They yeah. outrun monetary policy, got to the network exactly, effect on exactly, time. Exactly, right? They built, they, you nailed it, dude. Like they, they basically outran it. It's crazy because uh, they literally could have been a Zerp uh, a casualty. Dude, like think about it. Getting a banana delivered to like a single banana. <laughs> is there dumb. anything more Zerpy <laughs> than that? That's ridiculous. But they yeah, actually pulled it off. Uh, welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We've got Jack Butcher, Trung fan, Bilal Zaidi here. What's going on, boys? Lots going Wait, on this week. I just realized something. For the listeners, we're on the Zoom screen. I just realized right behind Jack's right shoulder, there's just a chair. It's like a yeah, WWE yeah, yeah. folding chair. That's <laughs> true. It's, it's just there for no... Dude, is that your, like, is that your closet chair? Do you guys no, ever yeah. do that? Do you guys ever do that swap, in college? I just you swapped the... your clothes uh, on it? I just swapped a nice chair for the uh, temporary <laughs> chair back there, you see? Do you, what, do you what? know what I mean by the... Yeah. Uh, sit, the do you sit on chair? that chair? <laughs> Is that your contemplating chair? What, what's going on there? I would normally be sitting on that talking to you boys, but it's for an hour and a half, it's a little uh, it's a little. Oh, much. you have to switch it out. Oh, the chair. The low slung. There we go. There we go. Wait, All right. You guys definitely had the closet chair in university, right? There's just one chair in your room and you just put your clothes oh, you on put it. All the just... clothes on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Still Have got you seen this? Did you see the Twitter thread the other week about the cuck chair in hotel rooms? <laughs> Wait, what is that? It's uh, probably for a different time, but the uh like the the one random chair in the hotel room facing the bed. Yeah, it's true. Like what that's so true. Like what the hell is that? The cuck chair. The cuck chair. <laughs> That is hilarious. Yo, Jesus yo. Christ. Well, okay, if you don't get that drunk, do yeah. not Google it. Yeah. Do yeah. not Google it at work. Or do wait till Google. later, yeah. at least. But yeah, boys, we've got a lot going on. So uh, let's let people know what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about meme in a week, which is trying is still standing till 69K Bitcoin. But hopefully we're, we're all hoping that might change soon. Uh, there's a... Grayscale versus SEC, little quick discussion to be had there. Uh, Clavio and Instacart, is, they're going public. So we're going to talk about that. And then from last week, stock exchange breakdowns. Trung's been doing some research there, going to break it down. I think we got some input from some NIA, uh, oh, yeah. NIA listener well, too. Well, right? let me do, before I forget here, let me do a quick shout out to uh, Jack Dell, finance director at the London Stock there Exchange. There we go. I, I hope I didn't I hope I didn't out him as an NIA listener. That might be a fireball <laughs> offense. <laughs> if, if your if your information diet and you work in finance includes NIA, like that's a massive no red judgment flag. Here. <laughs> that's hilarious. And then, no, well, I don't no, know if we'll you... get to it, but one one other thing, the TikTok apparently gonna be launching a Spotify competitor. We'll see if we get to that. Um if not, we'll we'll cover it another week. But yeah, what what you what you guys want to start with? Should we talk about Grayscale real quick? And yeah, we let's can get do it real others? quick. Why don't you, re you read that tweet that was sent? So for uh, I'll pull the tweet. I'll give a background on Grayscale for listeners that don't know, but I'm guessing most of the listeners do know because we've talked about it nonstop. Grayscale is the Bitcoin trust, so they're not an ETF. Like you can't buy in and out. Like they uh they trade below net asset value. Like that's one of the big criticisms of the uh, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. The other big one being that they take a massive fee to manage basically this, the equivalent of an investable Bitcoin product. 
I have a lot of grace. Uh, uh, oh no, no, I have a lot. The my the majority of my Bitcoin holdings, which are not a lot, because I bought a ton of sixty nine thousand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like Jack probably has, uh, you know, cold storage wallet, the whole nine. When you for uh, the grayscale Bitcoin trust is meant for like total noobs like me that uh, just wanted to be able to do it over Fidelity or the trading app. Anyways, if it gets turned or wait, dude, what is this? The, Jack, what is are, you, this? are you presenting? A, we just see the URL of a tweet <laughs> yeah, right yeah. now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Hold you, on a second. Were you sharing your screen? Yeah. There yeah. go. Oh, that could have um, been a lot worse, but yeah, I thought you were trying to. So the share TLDR a tweet yes, the argument was grayscale a Bitcoin trust. They want to turn to a proper ETF where people can buy and sell. And it's not a, there isn't this huge gap between the asset value, the underlying asset value and the tradable um, um, instrument, which is what it is right now. I think it's trading like 50% discount. Um, but anyways, uh, here, why doesn't Jack read out this tweet? So the thing that was announced this morning, Grayscale wins their lawsuit against the SEC. DC Circuit Court of, of Appeals is vacating SEC's denial of GBTC's conversion into an ETF. So what Trung was explaining, they're gonna, they're hoping to convert the trust into an ETF, which my understanding is would have far more retail exposure, be way, um, the inflow of capital would be massively more than the the trust vehicle right and it gets rid of the discount because now it's actually a proper etf and uh crypto's pumping right now because of this well trung you just mentioned that so right now there's either a discount or a premium right now it's a discount because it's a massive the... discount yeah and then in the past though when you had bought it i think it was a premium too no there have been times... a, a periods of premium and discounts. Yeah. Uh, I think the larger criticism is how big the fee is. I think it's 1.5%, whereas like a typical ETF is like 0.3, lower, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. basis points. Um, so That's like managed. Like if you're getting your money managed by someone yeah, paying exactly, 1%. Right? There's nothing might... to manage. No, exactly. exactly. Well, he's, well, the cold, all the cold storage or whatever they're calling it, right? But anyways, uh, the interesting thing here, and Jack pulled it up, is uh, basically... What the courts are saying is that the SEC has, or they're picking and choosing which uh, basically financial firm gets to have an ETF, right? Because I think they've greenlit or have set on the road uh, similar products, ETF products for like BlackRock or Vanguard. And they're basically saying, listen, you can't just pick and choose who you want. Like if these are similar organizations, if you're saying that these people are allowed, then you have to treat like as like. I believe that's what they're saying. And I mean, crypto's pumping right now because of it. Um, I mean, crypto's always pumping for some reason, right? I checked this morning, it was 1,800 ETH, uh, uh, Ethereum, and, uh, 28,000 uh, BTC. Really far from 69,000, by the way. So I'm still standing. For the for people, the new listeners, inside joke is I'm standing on this podcast until 69,000. I've been standing so much that I had to get a chair for my leg to, you know, when you stand so much, you're like moving around. <laughs> I got, I got like got a chair, chair for your leg. Yeah. So, you know, you say you shift. <laughs> the cock chair for your leg. <laughs> so the TLDR is, um, this is positive for the creation of a proper Bitcoin ETF, which to Jack's point will increase retail participation. And and this Not is all like coming off the back of, exactly. But this is all coming off the back of the legitimization of the black rocks of the world, I guess, coming in and what is it? 535 to one approvals on ETFs that they've put forth. Yeah. And now this is, you know, 
Like you can't green light these guys and then, you know, Stonewall, Grayscale, they've been applying for how long now? Years and years and years. Yeah, 100%. And, uh, and listen, I just want that discount to close. <laughs> I'm just being honest here. Um, anyways, any other thoughts on that, boys? No, I think this it literally just came out as we were about to record. So I don't think there's much more on it right now. Should we, uh, yeah, as we learn more, we'll maybe talk about, about it again. But I think for now, that should be good. Should we move on to Clavio and Instacart IPOs, Trunk? Absolutely. Let's do What's it. What's going on there? Because last week we talked about the other big IPO going on. Um, so when's the Clavio? This is literally coming up right now. Yeah. So when we talked last week about the ARMS uh, uh, IPO filing, they did an F1, the, the Clavio and uh, Instacart did more traditional S1 filings. Uh, to, if I'm being honest, I don't even know what the difference is. I just know that was a document that came out. But we, last week we talked about, um, does this open the IPO window? Because um, earlier this year, actually, do you guys see the listing for that? Uh, have you guys ever eaten this place? Blah, you might have. Kava? Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, Kava. Is yeah, it good? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, is Kava good? Right. Yeah, it's decent. It's kind of so like Kava a Chipotle like a style. Mediterranean? Yeah, Mediterranean, Mediterranean Chipotle. Chipotle. Okay. So, you can eat pretty clean there. They, it's pretty there good. you go. Yeah, this yeah. When, when Jack's back on his counting broccoli diet, he can yeah, eat yeah. <laughs> So, Kava went public earlier this year. I think it doubled on its IPO date. And and the the idea of IPO window, like uh, being open or closed, you know, you often hear this in the financial media, is like, what is the retail appetite for an IPO right now, right? So in 2022, when everyone was getting clapped, there was no appetite for a retail participation in the uh, in, in the IPO market, and also a lot of people got burned on that that spac game, so they didn't trust anything going public, right? So last week, talk about ARM. So ARM will be by far the biggest public listing this year. The 60 to 70 billion is what they're targeting. Even if they don't even get that, I mean, 50 billion will be tops. So that opened the door in some people's eyes to other listings. Um, so Instacart's the big boy uh, after uh, after uh, ARM. And I mean, everybody here, man, I'm, for the listeners that don't know Instacart, uh, I think it's a 10-year-old company at this point. Um, you, it, it, It's like an online delivery platform for groceries. Yeah. So you so Uber people. Eats for groceries, basically. Yeah. Right? Or... Do you guys do, have you guys ever used Instacart? I've only used it like I, a half a dozen times. I've used it like a couple of times because the Chase Sapphire, you get like the free account or whatever. You get like okay. a $20 to use. So one time I tried it, but uh, there's no point for me using it because there's, there's oh, like a New place York, downstairs. Right? You walk yeah, right yeah, down yeah. the street. What about, what about you, Jack? Yeah, we've used it. I think there's also a, like a like a lot of places have a direct one now. Yeah, a lot of places. A vendor to do it. Costco, just go direct. Whole Foods, I think, has a its own thing. Yeah, right? I do it on Amazon, Whole Foods direct. Like Prime. Yeah, yeah. That's what but we I use mean, most like, of the time. I think. Instacart's yeah, yeah, yeah. a pretty sizable business, though. Like, I think uh, I'll, I'll throw some numbers out there. So they they obviously during COVID, I mean, this is one of the you're talking about the COVID bump. So like Zoom is an obvious one. Everyone went remote, but Instacart, everyone's at home. They're like the delivery businesses. So I think they hired, I can't remember who the, how many they hired, a couple hundred thousand employees, uh, uh, not employees, contractors to pick uh, uh, groceries. So the thing with Instacart, I mean, their business model, how it started was they'll just put a margin on top of the grocery items. And uh, I think their margin is actually quite big. I think the average 
the average grocery store margin is tiny. We're talking like two, 3%, right? On top of like your fruits, your canned goods and like whatever you buy, rice, chicken. I think Instacart, when they add on the, and everybody knows what delivery fees and tips, right? I think it ends up being closer to eight, nine, 10%. So like from a shopping standpoint, like if you're a family and like you're trying to scrimp on bucks, like this is not like a good option, right? It's definitely for like idiots like us <laughs> have this, that are tangentially involved in the tech industry and have disposable income and only pay 10% margins on groceries. So there's that the delivery fee. But the interesting about the business model is 30 to 40% of it now. So I think they did 1.8 billion last year. 30 to 40% is actually advertising now. So, and if you think about it, this is actually, A, this is the nature of how all tech platforms are headed that have first-party data. So like Amazon has a massive advertising business. Mm. There's a $40 billion advertising business now. Uh, Walmart has a $3 billion advertising business. Uber has a $1 billion advertising business, or they plan to have it. That I think it's at 500 million now. But the point is that because of Apple's uh, app policies around privacy tracking, which we've talked about a ton here, if you have first party data, Bilal, can you explain what first party data is versus uh, more general stuff, which is like- There's like third party. Data. Yeah, but, but essentially okay. forget that for now, but it's like they will be able to use you can go directly and use their own data within the app essentially. So yeah. like whatever they're collecting first party, they're able to use that. So for example, what are they collecting? There? Like how old somebody is, where their, their demographic yeah, is. Yeah. But I think even, buy. I mean, exactly what you bought. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. So it's like very accurate versus like buying from like, uh, there's these things like ad exchanges and stuff like that, where you, you can get like third party stuff as well. So that's, that's, that's the difference between the two. But I'd say, I was going to ask you, in Instacart specifically, is it, um, are there ads that show up like Costco's promoting certain stuff within within there or something? Exactly. Right? Uh, grocery stores promote brands. Grocery stores promote things, but also brands oh, Brands as well. That's yeah, smart. So, so it's the same way in a supermarket, they're replicating what exactly. happens in the supermarket, right? Exactly. You, could, you called... buy, you, you basically rent like the front of the store or stuff like that. Dude, this is the other part I was going to say is like this Instacart model basically converged to if you have a giant platform of first party data, not only first party data, but can you explain why purchase data is like purchase as the most valuable uh, first party data, right? I, th I think so. Yeah. I mean, I guess because ultimately people are trying to drive purchases and there's no greater truth than a purchase, I guess, in this case. So the inferred, like if you say um, someone's got data on like demographics or their age, whatever, their income, that might be interesting, but you're only finding that interesting because you're predicting that person might be, uh, have a higher likelihood of purchasing something. Whereas someone who's actually bought your competitor's stuff before or similar category of item, that is obviously a lot more indicative of a purchasing. You know, they're in the market, for example, for cold brew, which is what the, I meant. So Jack right now there is drinking. Go. So <laughs> Don't tell me coffee. what you think. Show me your <laughs> yeah. portfolio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay. So this is what I mean, right? It's like when I listed off all those companies like Walmart, uh, uh, Target has that program, he's Amazon. Got he's got it going. Kirkland cold brew. Dude, Costco screen. would have a killer. We are willing to be sponsored by Kirkland, the biggest CPG brand oh, in the world. 100%. 100%. Bigger than well, Nike. We, Did you see that? That we, yeah, That's a Kirkland chair that. back there too, by the way. Is there a... The cock chair? Yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, Tron, did all cut you off, but I needed to. No, no, no. I mean, it's like, no, this is all great. This is all great bands, people. What we're talking about Instacart is a fascinating business, right? So I ended up converging to what large supermarket chains end up doing. Like, Bilal, you nailed it. What do large, large supermarket chains do? Kroger, for example, it's the third largest, uh, they might even be the second largest grocer in uh, America after Walmart. Um, so they, they make billions of dollars a year on what's called vendor allowances. Like, it's two things, vendor allowances and placement fees. So, blah, you know, there's like, uh, where, like, you guys know when you go into a grocery store and if you see, like, you're walking down the aisle and you see something eye level, that person is paying more to have it placed on the eye level. Nobody's buying the sauce, the ketchup on the bottom rack. Like, no one's bending down to that Unless bottom rack. Unless it's sriracha, right? then, you, then you make an effort, you know, but oh, no, but you're you right. Know, it's, it's, Bro, you know Sriracha yeah. is getting that eye level, 100%. Definitely. Definitely. But the whole point is that these models, the grocery model leans towards where they make money on vendor lounges. So vendor lounges kind of like, they'll, the uh, the uh, the food brands will give you product at just the, the bake in the discount that they'll sell it to you for uh, wholesale and they'll give you the margin on retail. And then the other part is like placement. So if you actually go to the uh, Instacart app, you see, it's like you open the app and they just all they have are generic items because they want to force brands like generic categories. Like they're not, they're saying like they're calling it like banana, they're calling it rice, and they're forcing the brands to like advertise <laughs> against these names, right? Like they're not going to show off these names. Hey, I don't know not what it was, but I laughed at that too. What was it? That was so funny, Jack. Because I, I, I don't know, I guess banana branded and bananas and rice yeah. are funny, right? Because they're yeah, not. It's <laughs> Yeah, the the, yeah. the more generic. It'd be like, right. uh, I mean, what would be a good option? Tomato sauce or something like that. Yeah, yeah tomato that sauce. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so interesting business, a super interesting business. And uh, they've actually turned around and become profitable. I mean, this was just one of those ZERP businesses. It was like like their internal valuations, they cut from $40 billion to $13 billion over the past two years because they knew it was zerpy. Like it was a very zero interest rate policy type thing to have something. They got that delivery. network effect. They yeah. outrun monetary policy, got to the network exactly, effect on Exactly, time. right? They built, they, you nailed it, dude. Like they, they basically outran it. It's crazy because uh, um, they literally could have been a zerp uh, a casualty because of how, like, dude, like, think about it. Getting a banana delivered to, like, a single banana, <laughs> is there anything more zerpy <laughs> than that? That's ridiculous. But they yeah, actually pulled it off. Yeah. And the interesting good about name, them, too. Yeah, it's, like it's a, a good, uh, like, overarching thing. It's good. So they're going public. I don't know what the valuation is going to be. I think they did 1.8 bill. I mean, it'll probably be close-ish to what they marked themselves internally down to. So they went from 40 bill to 13 bill, uh, ballpark-ish. So they actually brought in... Actually, Bilal, you might know this. They brought in a new CEO uh, in the last uh, 18 months. She was the former head of uh, Facebook's uh, Blue. So Facebook Blue is the main original Facebook feed. Um, that's what they call it internally. They call it Blue, the Blue app. So she used to run the Blue app. And how does Facebook make all this money? Advertising. So that they knew what Instacart was building. They knew they were is building this a Fit platform. Simo? Is that Yeah, right? that's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Um, I actually, her, could you yeah, also pull the founder? Can you actually, uh, uh, yeah, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, the founder, I think it's Arpu Meta, uh, is a founder of Instacart. I think he's Canadian, actually, so shout uh, out. Aporva um, Meta, that one. Yeah, yeah Aporva Meta. Uh, shout out, uh, Canadian cat. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, so one last thing about Instacart's uh, IPO. Uh, I think it is interesting. He's 36 years old, I think, by the way. Well, young cat. Uh, about to be, I mean, I guess already a billion on paper, but 
the thing about him is the way he got into Y Combinator is he sent Gary Tan, who's now the president of Y Combinator, he sent him beers from Instacart to show him how. To oh, that's beers. incredible. A decade ago. Smart. Very smart. Anyways. Wait, that's that was Gary Tan, and Gary Tan wasn't even. He wasn't a, president at the time. He was. Yeah, a, he, he was, was just a, an investor, uh, one right? of the investors. Yeah. That's smart. Killing it. So what? Any what, other I, thoughts, boys? On Instacart. No. Oh, but I, I, it's interesting that you mentioned the the valuation change, obviously, because did you say at the height it was like forty billion? Yeah, that was when it was like this really funny money. Do you, yeah. do you know? Do you know what uh, like Uber Eats is relative to Uber? revenue-wise tiny right oh no i think it's almost 50 50 now oh wow wow yeah, it's massive it is massive and they're going into like grocery game and all that stuff as well right they're not yeah, gonna they stick are. to burger and chips everything deliver anything right right cv uh they'll do anything they'll do anything man office well Max. i mean well dude it's, it's the classic mba right like it's what what is the problem to be solved something being brought to your house if i want a banana I want a single banana delivered to my house. Someone, one of these platforms will do it. I've done a $45 Burger King before, boys. I know, <laughs> the I've definitely done that. Oh, the Popeyes. Remember when the Popeyes chicken sandwich was going crazy? And uh, do, do, do you guys remember this? Trunk, did I you see that? I didn't news? have it though. But people didn't have Popeyes. People up. Popeyes were, is not that hot up here. They were having some, there were a few deaths because people what? were fighting over this. Or Are people were serious? going to the store because it was like they sold out of them. To be fair, they were very good. But still, you can't be fighting over chicken burgers. You know what I mean? No, you but, should um, not be doing that. By the way, have you guys... I am just. I was Googling that. What percent of Uber revenue is Uber Eats? Have you guys seen this, by the way? Show me this the is, chart. It's like a bard integration, it looks read, like. Read it out, buddy. Oh, wow. This is sick. The only reason I'm bringing it up is just because... Uh, so it says 2022, 34% of Uber revenue was Uber Eats. There we go. You know I think what? It's you know what? But that is sick. I'm just trying to think if that if that's accurate. That's I haven't mental. seen this before with like the search. That's I just mental. Wanna... That's mental because is that in the US or is that everywhere? Uh, yeah, I think that's I'm global. Not sure. to total revenue. Yeah. That's crazy. I just want to play one thing. I guess. I mean, if you think about it, people eat three meals a day. You know, more that's people true. eat they three take... meals a day than take a taxi every day. That's a good 100%. point, actually. Well, yeah. look, I, I, I have something well, to flag yeah, here. No, not everybody eats three meals a day. If anyone, that's, uh, you, know, can, you can fact style. check me yeah. on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I didn't think to bring this up in the middle when it occurred to me, but uh, I can't even remember the connecting tissue, but the OnlyFans revenue came out the last couple of days. Did you see that? Yeah, I, I saw those numbers. They're insane. Crushing. Crushing. <laughs> Jack's face when he <laughs> said crushing. <laughs> insane what, what was it yeah, well, it's, your, it's your meme isn't it the the gluttony lust uh no it's a sub stack versus versus uh, only fans right crazy it's unreal what well was they're the not numbers? even in the Did app store that's all they can't even be in the app store because of uh, apple they're, they're, it's literally just a website hold on a second i'll pull it up i see okay, 2022 uh, 1 billion but it must yeah, be way sure higher no, hey blah why don't you pull that up and i'll, I'll finish my last thought oh, uh, on instacart wrong. I'll actually, I just want to flag that uh, every week we have to mention Bilal used to work for Google. I like how he pulled up uh, Bard. He yeah, had to shout out Bard. You got to plug in. Look at this feature. I didn't know Google I mean, that's pretty sick. Chat yeah, that good, is a pretty good. sick integration, <laughs> to be honest. Why don't you just use ChatGPT, Bilal? Why don't you just use Bing? Well, why that. did it have to be Google, dude? Why did it have to be Google? 
I like I, I like what I like, you know what I mean? So All right, let me enough, let me man. pull up what was it? OnlyFans revenue. Let's see. Yeah, uh, yeah. So the OnlyFans stuff uh before we've talked about is but like Substack paid out I think the, the meme was a year ago, Substack paid out nine million to the writers. Uh or no, its revenue was nine million. It paid out way more, like hundreds of millions to writers. But but OnlyFans revenue was like a billion. So like people are like, listen, people like certain things. Here we go. Sorry, I see. Here we go. These are 2022 numbers, though, yeah? They're yeah, hit it. For the whole year. 5.6 billion GMV up 17% year over year. 1.1 billion in revenue, which I'm assuming they can't take great or whatever. 525 in pre-tax profit, 48% profit margin. 3.1 million creators on the platform. That's up 47% as well. This is the best part. 338 million in dividends paid out to the owner. What an absolute chad dude this is a <laughs> i gotta tell you guys something about this Licks so, bricks maybe that Licks is incredible i don't know if you remember the um the uh when pornhub was getting you know the pe company bought pornhub it was like some weird transaction but i actually got texted by somebody in the pe space they're like oh yeah we saw this deal come across our desk he's like the problem with all these there's no enterprise value in these like I mean, I'm not gonna say OnlyFans doesn't have enterprise value because it's not their, it's not a pure porn business or like adult business, but I'm assuming that the majority of it is. It's like, it's like when you don't have enterprise value or you can't sell at a high multiple because a lot, you know, a lot of buyers are removed from the field, right? Not, not a lot of buyers can come in and buy OnlyFans. Like they have restrictions on 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 what they can buy. You just pay yourself fat dividends. That's how you make money, right? You just you just pay yourself the fattest. So let, let's run through that again, Bilal. You said there's a bill. He's uh, English too, right? Two, yeah, there's a bill. It's an English cat. So like a bill, also previous porn king uh, or adult <laughs> industry king. So a bill. I'll put it up on the screen so uh, you guys can see so it at the same 500 time. pre-tax. 500 pre-tax. Smash it. Can you guys <laughs> see that? Our boy Tenay, I mean, yeah, wild numbers. This is you also know, this interesting. Was, the number I, I of people on the actually, platform. I wasn't actually. This was, I was forgot some forgot to bring something up while you're talking about uh, uh, Instacart, and it wasn't even this. This wasn't the example, but I just this came out. It was Rouse? Just Campbell's just bought Rouse. You know that little. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The pasta the, sauce. The Italian pasta sauce and I spaghetti like that. and and we spent absolute best. fortune on that stuff and they like have i think they got bought out by some pe oh, firm man. a couple of years ago and they just went ape shit marketing that stuff <laughs> talk about the like eyeline marketing and oh like, yeah discounts buy one get one free it's a it little expensive as well though i mean years. it's more premium price point than uh just the regular ones it's it not was like, like super pricey, expensive it was like it was like uh trung's price psychology thread it's like you it's yeah, like yeah. 14 bucks down to eight or something ridiculous yeah, so yeah, like, oh, yeah that's yeah. a decent deal yeah still twice is the it price delicious of X, you know? it's delicious it's incredible it's, oh, it's, really it's good. unbelievably yeah. good it's actually like yeah and it's fairly low like they don't add sugar i don't think it's just kind of like natural sugar notch, from tomatoes or whatever it's, it's the best tasting one though the one in my opinion as well and i'm it a little is. worried they're going to just change it now that it's part of the big company they're just going well, to that's what happens with the pe game son i've been noticing wendy's since they've been getting some more of the pe money the the burgers are a little bit less square yeah a little <laughs> bit more husk in there yeah. <laughs> yeah. all right all right Wait, Trump, you want to talk clavio too 
No, I want to tee up. I want to tee up uh, Jack on this. Let's tee Jack up. So for the listeners, the other big uh, filing. Uh, yeah. This all came out on Thursday, Friday last week. Again, Arm. Once Arm came out, people were just like, "Oh, people are gonna get hyped." The Appetite retail investors want some more IPO action. So Clavio is a what would you call it, email marketing platform? Is this right, Jack? Is yeah. that correct? Yeah, I'm sure they wouldn't call themselves just that, but yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, what Jack, a marketing so, automation. Yeah, uh, marketing. something CMS, like uh, what's this? Um, CMS. Yeah, all of that shit. They probably want to. They have a ton of customer with. stuff, right? Mm -hmm. They they. Uh, I think marketing automation is... for email marketing yeah. SMS. There we go. <laughs> there you go. You want to control your customer you want first party data this is what it's about we're talking about first party data is having your customers controlling all the information and uh i mean mailchimp is probably the closest comp i don't know how similar their product lines are i know they're quite similar mailchimp was acquired by intuit for over 10 bill clavio last valued at 10 bill clavio does i think 500 mil revenue so that's 20 times rev is uh, the private valuation again i don't think it'll get that valuation in public markets unless the, the retail appetite is as they believe but the reason i say all this is because listeners when i was sending these topics earlier to the group jack was not pleased with his experience with clavio jack can you tell us what you've done <laughs> with clavio was it for visualized value and what, what was your issue with it no i mean i will say i got the recommendation to use it from like a very experienced direct consumer marketer. Yeah. Okay. So this like somebody who's like deep it's really in the weeds, their big right, segment. Configuring ridiculously complicated flows and logic and Can you explain it, what a flow and logic is? Yeah, so basically those... based on a purchase or a behavior on an e-com store, you can have Clavio, you can build all of these automations to produce different outcomes. So, you know, you left something in your cart so it sends you an email after an hour. It sends you another email after a day saying, here's a discount. All of these different things that you can do to bring people back to your site or serve up marketing emails. There's tons of different stuff. Anything you can imagine as like, if this, then that with uh, email or SMS now, I guess is a huge part of their um, service too. So the first time I, it did not look like that. I don't know if that was the back end that you're, that they're showing on the, on there now. Yeah, well, this that was is... just on their homepage. I, I've only, um, yeah, I only know from like people I've worked with who do, like you said, like very advanced e-commerce. I think in e-commerce is kind of like the standard from my understanding. Whereas like a MailChimp, that MailChimp positioning was a lot more like uh, anyone can start sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And like, you'll see them advertising on, podcasts and, and stuff like it's that it's like the church fate doing this stuff on mailchimp exactly right? exactly yeah. yeah 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 and then you've got clavio which is like jack you do have an e-commerce business obviously but it might be like if you've got like a very complicated one with like thousands of SKUs and like different ASOS countries could use clavio, exactly. right? they like probably ridiculously do. Exactly. complicated and i think the comparison i used was oracle when we were talking mm, about yeah. it in the way it's like they have these really deep like almost untangleable integrations with um, big businesses. So like as a really small e-commerce store, you could just export your email list, move it somewhere else, and then build your simple flows up again. But if you have these like sequences that convert, I'm paying a ridiculous amount of money for an email service still. But those things, the ratcheted pricing on them goes absolutely nuts too like when you get past like fifty thousand subscribers you're at i don't know 
700 bucks a month, 800 bucks a month. And then from there just goes up and up and up. And obviously the cost to provide that service is zero extra for them. Maybe a couple extra pennies on uh server costs or whatever, but they're the, the amount of um, the switching cost is, is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's so I'm actually convincing myself otherwise after having this conversation with you boys, because I was just not the customer for it. Yeah, so I use convert kit now, which is way more targeted at the, you know, 50,000, hundred thousand emails. Yeah. Like one person Simpler writing the emails use. and building the flows. This stuff is like, yeah. Like you said, below, you have a thousand SKUs and every SKU has customization options and all yeah, that yeah. crazy. And it's like someone's full-time job to basically be, there might be Clavio like five people, person. 10 people working on just Clavio and uh, all the email marketing stuff. So, and they're surprisingly, you, yeah. Sorry, Bilal, they're surprisingly not like one for one competitors at that end. Like yeah. the, the, I don't even know what the other one would be. ConvertKit, I think could technically do all that stuff. Mm. Also, Shopify is trying to ship that stuff as part of the platform too, right? Like they're trying to, create these flows native to the store. And I always hated the fact that there was these two dashboards that you're looking at and you're trying to like marry the logic over from one to another. And it just, this is where it like gets interesting. Say, Jack, you're let making, me bring this up. Yeah, go on. No, I was going to say you nailed, you nailed one of the most, the biggest risk to Clavio. Shopify, 80% of Clavio's revenue. Again, I think it's about five or mil is mm -hmm. related to Shopify stores. Mm -hmm. Shopify owns 11% of Clavio. And exactly to your point, they have an identical competing product that's more natively integrated to Shopify. So there's this balancing act, basically. Shopify needs to decide, and Clavio, like how much mm. do we just let Clavio be the best at this email marketing? We get, there's revenue share with Clavio. So like Shopify has a lot of leverage here, but Clavio has some leverage, right? Because people know how to use it. It's like everything you said. People know how to use Clavio. They've already have their data there. Shopify's leverage is we can just cut you off and you're done. It would done. be insane. That'd it would be, be insane, yeah. right? So Come like off this and is buy actually- back. And buy them back. Bobby That's Axel the tension. <laughs> so this, I, I, the reason I didn't mean to cut you off there, but it's like you brought up one of the, the most interesting points about Clavio is how tightly tied they are to Shopify and what tensions that bring. So uh, again, none of this is investment advice, people. Like I bought GPTC at 69,000. Do not take any of this as investment advice. Yeah. But we're trying to drop knowledge with the Jack's got on the ground experience here. It wasn't like Instacart where I ordered a banana once and don't have much experience. With it. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I've, I've changed my point of view on it a little bit from this conversation, but it was like, it is not what you would think of as like, consumer facing technology product right it really is like yeah ordering on an enterprise solution which obviously there's a lot of value there and a lot of lock-in and i couldn't like we used to work with oracle on the when i was in the agency world and to look at any of their products it's like what is this thing and they're all kicking <laughs> off hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue and they're like just to the point where they've been in these organizations for 10 years, nobody wants to change them. Right? We used to do our expense reports through Oracle. I don't know if you boys have ever been in a yeah, company yeah, that yeah. uses us. It's just like fucking painful. What was it called? What was their it's one almost called? almost a feature. 
Was it uh, Concur? Was that them? Or was that There's something else? like that. I don't know. And like oh, point of sale stuff. They have a bunch of that in that world. So it's kind of like, I, I feel like the, in some ways that stuff is a feature, like the, the complexity of it, the like pain. That that Salesforce as well is like that, bundle. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Once you're in, it's, you've already spent so much time training everyone. It looks ugly, but it, it kind of works. And then you're like, okay, if we're going to transport all this data to a new system, we've got to train everyone again. It's like, is it even worth Mate, the It's crazy. Most point? of the time, like the person that built it isn't even there or they yeah. got paid to come in from the outside. <laughs> or It's like free money for these platforms because I'm not canceling my $700 a month email marketing thing, even though I barely use it because I'm just like, uh, if I want to decide to start that up again, it's way more than even 12 months of that recurring uh, amount in effort to get going again. So it's like, if that's if that's the situation for me, I can't even imagine what it's like for... What ASOS, you know, right? Yeah, like one of your emails is recouping, if you can write an email, right? One of your emails is recouping your the fee you yeah, pay to Clavio. And that's like a really justifiable business expense too. It's not like a pool table or a massage parlor or whatever. It's like, these things are like, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about though. These, this is I like, like a parlor to massage too. parlor and At I saw work. Jack's chair inside. The exact <laughs> chair. <laughs> I'm like, what is it? This is supposed to be in the hotel. Dude, you know what I'm saying? This is like the opposite of a zero interest rate phenomenon. Yeah, it's uh, actually business like expense. It's direct yeah. marketing. It's like the first direct thing cost. that you start going ape shit on versus like, Oh, we're gonna do a Super Bowl ad, or we're gonna, you know, buy our employees uh vests. Yeah, this is like infrastructure basically. It's like yeah, making sure your servers are up and making sure your email is set up properly for those companies. That's yeah, that's so my, a good point. My, man. my bad yeah. experience with Clavio has actually become the bull case in, yeah, my, you go. in my mind. No, but you're right, because it might just you weren't the right customer, but it was too many bells and whistles. Like it's probably confusing to use, but uh, for them it's like a, it also like makes ASOS it sellable. That. It also makes it sellable by vendors because it's so fucking hard to use. Oh, that's so true. You're yeah, gonna yeah, pay yeah, yeah. somebody just to take it off your plate. The percent. Like in having an accountant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Trung, anything else on the Clavio IPO itself? Uh, the only other thing I'd add is uh, founded in Boston, uh, and uh, the the founders have thirty eight percent of the company because they didn't wow. do it. They're very Your capital respect. efficient. So these MFs are about that to 4 PL, that four percent. Yeah, they're about to be caked, son. They're about to be nice, caked. man. Good for them. Good for them. Smashing it. When is is there a date or anything on that? I think uh, I think uh, all the ARM, uh, Instacart, and uh, and Clavio will all uh, hit the markets in the next four to six weeks. Nice. So, yeah. Not right. investment you, uh, advice. Not open opening bell. Investment advice. All right, talking of opening bell, nice transition yep. into our next topic. There we go. Uh, stock exchange breakdowns. Boy, look at that. Jack, Jack's grin. <laughs> that was the redundant. That was nowhere near on the level of that one time Trunk did the most, the hard, do you oh, remember that hard, hard pivot. right? A hard yeah. pivot. Yeah, we were like, where did this come from? But um, yeah, so uh, yeah, what we got. So we talked about it last week. Uh, we were talking about London Stock Exchange, I think. Yeah. Um, but Trung's been doing some research into this to break it down because it's quite an interesting business. So let, why don't we talk about, we're going to talk about the industry landscape, the business model, and why stock exchanges are more powerful than banks. Over to you, Trung. 
Well, let's start with the. Uh, well, here, hold on a second. Jack was the one that was most curious about this. And then speaking of Jacks, again, shout out to Jack D. Bell, a finance director at London a Stock Exchange Group. Uh, Love it. He did. He sent some. A legend. Yeah, I got I caught these DMs. I'm like, oh, this is cool. What a name for a stock exchange yeah. employee, Jack yes. DeBell. <laughs> Jack DeBell. <laughs> Dad, I didn't even read that. No. Is that actually his name? Yeah, it's a British cat. So he, he oh, actually wow. he pointed me towards. Uh, uh, so I, I know our boy Matt Russell from uh, uh, Colossus who listens to NIA every now and then. So Matt, if you're listening, thank you for the business breakdown episode about the London Stock Exchange Group because I did listen to that. Um, Jack Bell had told me to listen to that one, so I did. I don't know how I missed it the first time. But that, uh, Mark Rubenstein writes a great newsletter called Net Interest. He wrote something called The New Power Brokers. And The Economist has a lot of coverage about this industry topic so jack was there anything that piqued your interest from the categories that Bilal mentioned that you would want me to get into first i think the thing that we that's like sparked the inquisition into the stock exchange was why is arm going to be listed on the new york stock exchange versus the lse and how does that work and what is the relationship between those two entities etc cetera, etc cetera. so just like the yeah, very basic, like, who has access to these things, IPO, blah, 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 blah. You hit it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the, this answer is answered directly by Jack. So uh, I'll, the other Jack, not our Jack. So I'll, I'll give the kind of TLDR is uh, we kind of touched on it. It was the depth of the market, uh, the liquidity, uh, so where people trade the most, and, uh, and the kind of secondary effects of that. And... So, 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 so I have a one challenge for that is like, why don't all companies list themselves on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ? Well, that this is what's case. happening. Yeah. Ultimately, this is what the best ones really do, though. Like the largest IPOs end up going to the United States. When they don't, uh, the, the biggest cases have been China related. So the Hong Kong Stock Exchange is a massive company. And they're obviously very close to mainland China. So for the past decade... Uh, the 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 similar to how we talked about Arm, which is an English company, like they're deciding whether or not to be in the FTSC, which is the Financial Times Stock Exchange uh, 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 stock the market where they would list, versus going to the Nasdaq United States. Previously, all the big Chinese IPOs that happen, they're discussing should we go to the U.S. because you know the U.S. investors. That's where the largest capital base is that's where the largest uh source of capital is um but for china it's very china makes sense right it's very political it's like it would make sense why they would just some companies would just list on the hong kong stock exchange and that's actually why the hong kong stock exchange which currently has a market cap of about 50 billion dollars so let me list off the industry players as the stock exchange. so the largest one is actually the uh, cme the uh, chicago mercantile Mercantile Exchange. They're about $75 billion. Uh, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange is about $50 billion. ICE is a $65 billion company. What is, this number? what is this number? Market cap. For the, for the company itself, not the market yeah. cap of companies right. on there, right. obviously, right? Because that's way yeah, bigger. Yeah. Those are the market cap of these exchanges. They're big, They're big companies. Got yeah. It. Okay. Uh, the uh, Deutsche Borsch, which is the German one, is $40 billion, And the NASDAQ is $26 billion. So... These are surprising. Very, I didn't realize now like smaller than a lot of those. Yeah. So like, well, the big part of, uh, let me actually talk to the business model. So Jack, I don't know if that, uh, the main point being that most companies, 
if you actually want quote unquote the deepest markets and the most liquid markets, you do go to the United States and you, uh, it makes sense intuitively, right? This is where the most right. capital is and it's the American investors. Uh, but and the so media it was also that comes with the those, media, yeah. everything that comes with that. Right. And, uh, this is from the business breakdown podcast. So they brought up a great point is a stock exchange business is a winner takes most. It's because of the nature of it, right? Whoever has the most liquidity is going to attract the most listings, the most participants. They get that makes gives them even more liquidity, which gives High even more liquidity. Placement. Yeah. Well, richer get rich gets richer, right? Same with the, and we'll talk about this with the, how actual businesses work. So, when you think of stock exchange, you think about trading, but trading in and of itself is only one of four main business lines. So trading, just like it is with brokerages, the trading itself has been competed basically down to zero. Like the commissions people get now on trading are just compared to the volume they do. Like I'll give you some numbers that these guys do right now. We're talking like, I think like, for example, foreign exchange deliveries are in the trillions of dollars daily. Right. And so the, the, the commissions on these are infinitesimal. They're basis points and they're just getting competed down. So the way a lot of these companies make money now is through data. They have all this data. So if you're a financial market participant, you want to pay for access to this data for your decision-making, right? Does that make sense? Uh, it makes sense in theory, but what's the format for them delivering that? Uh, licensing. Uh, uh, similar or, or like Bloomberg-ish, where right, like, right. Here, here's a data feed. You have a data feed of real-time financial data. You want to know what's trading where and how these prices are moving. We'll give it to you. So you pay so, licensing. So the Bloomberg pays a fee to access like the real-time buy and sell data from the New York Stock Exchange. Is that accurate? or the CME or the CME right. will give them real-time derivatives data. And Bloomberg also has their own data too, right? They also sell data to, uh, they have a ton of first party, like uh, fixed income data that they sell to people, which is like, obviously super, I mean, obviously the terminal is their main thing that sell through the terminal. Like people have to, like you pay $30,000 a month for one Bloomberg terminal terminal. Uh, is it a month or is it uh, two 30 months? grand a year? I'm pretty 30 sure. 30 grand a year. Yeah. So, just back the one other thing I wanted to mention about the LSE and why ARM picked uh, uh, NASDAQ. There's actually, and you kind of touched on it, is like the media coverage. So NASDAQ actually also did like promise some level of marketing for ARM. Like we're going to help you may have a successful IPO, right? Like we are going to hit like- We're going to call up NIA and get them yeah. to do a segment. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So- uh, I hope that kind of answered the larger question of why ARM picked uh, NASDAQ and why, I mean, a lot of the largest IPOs end up in the United States for that reason, right? Winner takes most. So think about it. Wherever there's more capital, more capital come, and then it's just a cycle. Same with data. Because data is now such a big part of these companies, like we're talking 50% plus of their revenue, wherever there's more data, people will be more willing to participate uh, to pay for that data. They want to contribute to those data pools in exchange for whatever. So um, they might give data to get data and then that just begets more and more data. So like the kind of the main revenue streams, which is like trading liquidity, capital participants, and then data, they're both winner takes most. Like both of these markets, if you, uh, it, it tends toward scale and like these kind of monster businesses. Now, Blah kind of asked uh, or mentioned one of the, 
uh, points about uh, stock exchanges becoming more powerful than banks. And let, me, let me explain why. So over the past decade, because as we mentioned, these are winner take most industries, there's been a ton of consolidation. So I'll give you an idea of uh, what's happened over the past 15 years or so. So uh, in 2007, New York Stock Exchange brought Euronext. Uh, this include the Amsterdam and Paris exchanges. ICE, which is a $65 billion exchange company, bought NF, uh, the New York Stock Exchange in 2013. So you see this consolidation happening. So this one company bought the Paris and Amsterdam exchange, and then it was bought by a larger company, which combined it with New York Stock Exchange. But they actually spun out the uh, the Euro stuff. Now, CME... It, go ahead, know, Jack. A, I was just going to say, I think I feel like it's a common misconception that these are private companies they used to be this is you know this is great so um stock exchanges used to be owned by the members and the members were the people that transaction on them asset managers brokers and banks they around the early 2000s they in the term it's called demutualized demutualized is the equivalent of like now it's no longer member owned they went public and a big part of that is because this is a scale business and I guess as technology improved through the 90s and into the 2000s, you can really get the benefits of scale, right? Because everything I mentioned about participants and data, obviously they're less important in the 1980s and 90s, not less important, but less powerful. But as you get into the 2000s and on, it, it's so clear that if you have uh, all these uh, institutions together, they'll, they'll just be so powerful. And that's basically in the early 2000s, late 90s, is exactly to your point. It went away from membership owned. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the London Stock Exchange goes back hundreds of years, right? It's literally like Lindy. Exchange. Yeah, it's a Lindy. It's a very Lindy idea. I mean, that's a great point that you brought up. And um, so basically, as soon as one started going public of these groups, it forced everybody else to do it because again, winner takes most. So as we said off the top, there's about six of these giants in the field. And so I saw a quote here doing research for this, but like basically every country wants three things. Uh, one of them is their own airline. Uh, I forgot what the second one was, but another one is a stock exchange. Like every country has a stock. Actually, we're, so when I was living in Vietnam, there's a Ho Chi Minh stock exchange. But like the entire market cap of the Ho Chi Minh stock exchange was like, it's like apples, uh, it's like a tenth of apple, right? But like to have your own stock exchange as a country is like kind of a patriotic type of thing. So like every country will have a stock exchange, but they're minnows, right? Like, uh, this is how the industry goes. The reality is that the big boys, or the six ones I described, kind of run everything. Now, let me just talk through the the other consolidations that happened. CME acquired Dow Jones in 2010. ICE acquired, and this is where, so recently, it's the data play. So remember, the, the business lines, trading, settlement, and then data. So data is a big part of it. And, uh, and one I haven't even touched on is indexation. So like, when you, you all these indexes we talk about S&P, Dow, NASDAQ, FTSC, they all benefit from this passive investing boom. So over the past decade, trillions of dollars have gone into BlackRock ETFs, like passive investing, right? Like we are probably all invested in the SPY, which is an S&P 500 ETF. Well, guess what the SPY has to do? The SPY has to track an index. So who creates the indices are these companies. So that's a huge business line for them too. So the last couple of years, uh, the big deals that happened was ICE acquired, and ICE uh, stands for the Intercontinental, Intercontinental Exchange. Uh, maybe I'm missing a word there, but ICE acquired LMA, which tracks mortgage data. And then LSE, London Stock Exchange, acquired Refinitiv, 
which used to be Thompson Financial, for $27 billion in 2020. So these two deals that I just mentioned, uh, ICE acquiring LA May, if a mortgage uh, data firm in 2020, that was $11 billion. And Refinitiv acquired by LSE for $27 billion. Both happened two years ago. So again, winner takes most. These exchanges come together. Uh, and then on top of that, they're learning on this data business because data is where they're making now a lot of the cheddar. So does that does that landscape kind of mm -hmm, make sense? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so the thing I haven't touched on is the power shift. This is what we were teased last week. Why is it that the exchanges now are quote unquote more powerful than the banks? So in the 2008 financial crisis, I mean, we're talking who are the big boys that we remember? AIG was the big insurance firm. Uh, they were they were caught up in a large MBS BS. Um, obviously, Le Lehman Brothers Investment Bank. They had a ton of MBS uh, mortgage-backed securities, toxic mortgage-backed securities on their balance sheet. Goldman, J.P. Morgan, um, J.P. Morgan scooped up so many assets uh, out of this one, right? But basically, after two thousand and eight, this is what happened. Uh, two things specifically. Uh, this comes from Mark Rubenstein's newsletter. Uh, he 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 highlights two things that happened that made the exchanges more powerful than the banks or shifted the playing field. So the first thing that happened was that so many derivatives were transacted during the financial crisis. Like we, we know this, right? We get this, like the, the derivative products. Yeah. Oh, we're on board with that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. and that was going from basically bank to bank and like mortgage originators. So that was between banks and the mortgage originators. The exchanges were not very much involved, but after the financial crisis, the government was like, well, listen, we actually want a centralized party. So they call it the clearing houses. And this is where these, like these uh, CME is a big one, uh, the, Merc the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. We want you guys mediating these derivatives because before it was kind of like the wild, wild west. Like a bank's cutting a derivative deal here with this random mortgage uh, originator. And then this bank's doing a deal with this bank. They're like, we want it all in one place. So what happens if it's all in one place now? those exchanges get to determine the rules of the game. So they get to say, oh, you need to have this much collateral to do these derivative deals. And like, we get to call on you on that collateral. So they're basically controlling the playing field now for the derivatives market and they get to set the rules. Do you guys see how like that would give them so much more power than the banks mm -hmm, have? Mm -hmm, yeah. So that's one big one. The uh, These exchanges are now intermediating all these derivatives, which are massive markets, like trillions of dollars, right? Uh, and then the second thing that's really big, and this will make sense, we touched on it, is the indexation. These exchanges create all the indices that we know of, like SP500, S&P, whatever, 1,000, the, uh, the FTSE 100, the FTSE 250, these random like ESG uh, indices that they create. And now, People, but you know how there's all these memes are like, oh, BlackRock and Vanguard are like, they own every company in the world and they're like this evil oligopoly. Well, the reality is that the real ones, if you believe in that, like conspiracy theory, the ones that are actually setting the table are the exchanges because the exchanges get to determine what goes into these indices, right? And I'll give you a very, like a very salient example happened was when the, when uh, the Exxon, was removed from the Dow Jones. So Dow Jones is owned by uh, Dow Jones is owned by CME, and they took Exxon out of the industry. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, you know, it's thirty companies. They took out Exxon and put in Salesforce. Salesforce 
pumped by like 5% Exxon completely sold off. So this just gives you an idea mm. how their decision-making mm, yeah. complete, like they, 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 they transfer that that's hundreds of billions of dollars in value. Just like decision. Can they just, Cause isn't company. it based on, in that case, isn't it usually based on market cap or, or is there? Yeah. So like, the, yeah, it is uh, in that case, like, like S&P 500 rating. is the there 500 rules, biggest. Right? But yeah, like, it, for example, the one you said, the ESG ones, there's probably a little bit more like- More discretion, different, right? Cr yeah, criteria. Like, are they doing certain things in that space or whatever? No, That's but I mean, like, it's huge because it moves hundreds of billions of dollars. Like, oh, yeah. asset managers, like, think about these pensions that have mandates. They have to track, like, certain indices. So that, just, just to summarize, is like, post-2008, two huge things happen. It was a move from active to passive investing. So investors just wanted like, we'll just track whatever. Like we can't outpick names. We'll just track the indices and tons of money moved. As much as we joke about like, like the retail investors and Wall Street bears, like so much money is in passive, right? And the second thing was derivatives moving to clearing houses and they set the rules. So these guys are literally the kingmakers now. Like they are deciding the playing field. Uh, and you know, like the last thing I'll add is I mean, JP Morgan is still the biggest financial institution in the world. I think it's a $400 billion company. Uh, so it's larger than all these exchanges combined. But there's something to be said about being able to set the rules. And uh, yeah, that uh, that's all the details I was able to come up with. Very good, man. That's amazing, mate. School yeah, that's that's a crazy business, man. I didn't know Wild much about business. Actually, well, let me add one more thing. Tell them the business itself. This is from the Business Breakdown Podcast. I highly recommend listening to it. The, think about the uh we're talking about uh when we we're talking about instacart and those thin margins in the grocery business let's just say that the exchange business are the opposite of thin margins right like when you're selling a license to your industry that ain't costing you jack so these guys are doing like 40 50 operating margin 70 80 recurring revenue because all these financial institutions, all these asset managers, all these banks, they're paying for this data and for these licenses. So these businesses are ridiculous. And, and the long-term growth of it is this, is global GDP going to increase? Despite everything that's happened, it is going yeah. to increase. And they're going to start adding not other countries. Other yeah, no, <laughs> not investment advice. <laughs> um, the absolute last thing I'll add is, uh, I, I'll probably send this photo to uh, Rafa to show it but uh all these companies have double triple quadrupled in the past decade to reflect uh, in terms of market cap to reflect how important they've become so uh yeah there's, there's a tldr in the exchange business boys and the and the accessibility of investing as a behavior is all is just incredible for all yes. of these guys too right there the participation that we're talking about GDP growth. Not only GDP growing, idiots like us on our phones are growing every day. So, so that, yeah. uh, that that is where we go. It's fascinating. Oh, there was one other thing that we should have said, boys. Uh, didn't didn't Twitter just get a license? Uh, X, sorry, get a license from oh, Rhode yeah. Island. Um, yeah, you shared that in the group chat. One of you did. I'm trying to pull it up here. Uh, there you go. Requires Twitter. X require acquires required license to add crypto payments. So you'll be getting your Jack, payouts yeah. in Doge pretty soon, Trump. There we go. Yeah, you well, no, we, I wouldn't be Jack, surprised. We need you to talk about uh the me you you before you had uh combined in previous episodes the meme of uh trading on Twitter. 
Because right now there's right now there's abstract there's a level between it, right? You see something on Twitter, you're like, oh, maybe I'll buy based on this 10 second analysis that's all from a single tweet. <laughs> instant now, boys, instant. Yeah, I don't know if this is uh so it's a Rhode Island currency transmitter license, which is required to provide virtual asset related services on behalf of users. It will enable the social media platform to store, transfer, and exchange digital assets. Kind of crazy. Sounds like NFTs. And Sounds fast. Like you know what I mean? Like, just ridiculous how fast this stuff gets done. Unbelievable. Hey, everything app, boys. There we go. We're, All right, boys, we're on the doorsteps. Talk, let's do uh, one last quick topic, yeah? If you guys finish with that. Um, TikTok music. We just kind of talked about it a little bit before. Uh, but I was looking it up when we were speaking earlier. So TikTok has already launched TikTok Music in beta, and I think it's only available in Indonesia and Brazil, two of their biggest markets outside the US, obviously. And they're also going to launch it in Australia. It's currently in beta. But yeah, kind of an interesting move because we've talked about this on a show, um, like the discoverability of music on TikTok and people creating songs specifically for TikTok. Obviously, music has been a part of the DNA of TikTok since the beginning, when it was like musically originally as well. So, um, yeah, kind of an interesting move. I was looking up the percentage share, market share for everyone. So Spotify is 31% of the market. Apple Music is 15%. Amazon Music uh, and Tencent Music are tied or 13% each YouTube Amazon music. Amazon Music, 8%. what even is Amazon I know. Music? It's, I think it's already, you, when you've got Prime, I think you get Amazon Music. and I, So wow. all of us are probably are paying for it and don't even realize. On? on their phone, I guess, probably. Or on probably. Alexa as well. Yeah, yeah, it's probably just an app, but, but I, I've never used it myself, to be honest. And then mm. YouTube Music, 8%. But it's quite an interesting move for them because if you think about, like, you know, we talk about distribution here all the time. What's the user the, difference? Yeah, I mean, just to, just to think like they've got that baked in user base um, and they, they're already stuck. I, I think it could be quite interesting because I think so, they could. Yeah, go on. TikTok has 1.7 billion users, monthly active users addicted to it as well. Yeah. Right. So and Spotify is 500 million. Let me yeah. introduce actually something related to the last topic. Uh, the digital assets in Twitter. We talked about removing a layer. This is exactly what's happening. Exactly. TikTok is, we've covered here, is the ultimate top of funnel for the music business. It is, is it, it's the kingmaker. It's the stock exchange. <laughs> yeah. If stock exchange, if exchanges are the kingmakers of the finance industry now, TikTok is a kingmaker of the music industry because no one, there's no way, no faster way to get a hit than to get it go viral on TikTok. And yeah. uh, this is a huge move. I'd be, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a, it's a problem move. for, it's a, it, I mean, it's quite frankly a problem for Spotify. Spotify. Well, I don't know yeah. if we ever got this answer. You know, we had Dan Runcy on. Oh yeah. yeah. I don't know if we got like a, a succinct answer to this, but the way in which TikTok is able to use music or the way it like oh I don't you know, say how you can always find any song yeah like there, if you go right? on instagram and try and look for a song it's like the f there's nothing on there it's like the most odd selection of probably like the two labels that they've negotiated deals with you go on tiktok there's like 15 versions of every song remixed by you know people that are on the platform this cut that edit this that 
it's just like moving at an entirely yeah. different speed. Like the the network activity on TikTok is I'd like to hear a sailor breakdown on that, man. Yeah, that's yeah. uh it's just like uh talk about cyber hornets, man. That's what that thing is. <laughs> well, Jack, you said because the, the the piece I was reading about this, um they, this was in end of July, so they basically said they just renegotiated an expanded licensing agreement with Warner Music as it looks to grow its music content library. So I think it's the I think it's like the I think we talked about this before. I think it was the smartest thing, even if they're like massively overpaying for that. It's like the how do you race to get network effect? You ride on top of these assets that already have velocity. If you're on Instagram and the virality of your post is dependent on you creating something that resonates versus being able to tag yourself into this thing that is already a juggernaut, like whatever song is going viral at the time. My, in my mind, that's the whole TikTok thesis in one is like that focus that they put on making music integrated into that platform at every level is what catapulted it to, yeah. to where it is. Definitely. Well, that's the DNA of uh, what was the TikTok precursor? Below? Musically, musically, yeah. yeah. It's like li you're literally lip syncing music, and I mean, Jack always talks about you're riding the existing culture. You're exciting the, already the most. Well, music is the most memeable thing ever, right? It's like uh, yeah. when a catchy tune uh, gets hold of a, a population. The one thing I want to add, Bilal, was uh, uh, did you mention not only are they doing a streaming service? They've already looked at creating an AR function, which is like artists and repertoire. Is that what it means in the record industry? Oh, so like basically yeah, repre yeah. representation. Like they're cutting out everyone or they can and they're looking at it, right? It's like TikTok's like, wait, what's the purpose of a record label, right? In the 90s, you you, you printed the the, the yeah, physical, the physical CDs for people. You did marketing CDs, for yeah. the artist and you had the fan communication. Well, all it's of all that's social. direct like, nowadays. Yeah, everything's direct now. A single artist can do all of that by themselves. So the record labels have to earn their keep, right? That's the that's always been the um, the 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 art, or especially recently, is like, or record labels like even earning their keep. Like if they, if they're forcing people to go viral on TikTok, like their own artists, like what, what what's the purpose of them? So TikTok's just like, wait, wait a second. Like, you're right. So why don't we just do the A and R because we're the ones that can put their thumb on the scale, right? Like we can actually yeah, make you move. go viral. So, um, anyways, so, this doesn't change the fact that TikTok should be banned, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, just the last thing I'll say on it is I think it's a really strong move. I think it's a really impressive thing. Like it makes a lot of sense for them to do it. I will say the closest, um, analog here is like YouTube music. It says 8% market share, which I don't know if you guys ever used it. I'd again, pay for YouTube premium, get YouTube for free. But I don't love use I was it. pumping YouTube music. No, no, I'm, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying here <laughs> that I'm paying for this. <laughs> but, YouTube, no. but YouTube music is at a different platform than YouTube. It's got no, just it's songs basically, on it. Yeah, I think it's like, it's basically, they're all competitors to Spotify. Like you get the right. same library of music. I just put this, this, the video playlist on and stick it in the background. Yeah, yeah, I do that more than I use YouTube music. And the, I guess the point here is though, is kind of the bear case on TikTok music is, is that 
just because people are listening to music on one platform doesn't necessarily mean they're making that their primary place oh, to right. listen to music. And if they're addicted to TikTok, they're going to be doing that instead of going and exactly, listening to a whole song. Exactly. Right? They've and already so, fried themselves beyond the ability yeah, to yeah, yeah, listen yeah. to something for three minutes. I think they also, could do a better job though, of it, though, to be YouTube honest. YouTube pays these record labels more than anyone else. They pay so much money. Boy, Bilal, you know yeah. this, right? He's like, yeah, you yeah. told us that every music video has the option content just ID, like, hey, yeah, yeah yeah just content id like we'll pay you just like give us the right to play the music right and also just if you think obviously tiktok is massive for this but obviously youtube video like the biggest youtube videos are music videos like the old you know there's like videos that people playing on repeat and stuff like that so to me there was no reason youtube shouldn't have been a much bigger player in this and they in my opinion they've I don't want to say messed up, but like they should have a bigger share of this. The same way I think they should have a bigger share of cloud, and I think it's bad, bad execution essentially. Like they spread, they spread themselves pretty thin. And um, with YouTube Music, like why shouldn't everyone just be using YouTube Music if lots of people already use it for music? But you, the reason is because Spotify is a better experience, and they had a head start in creating something. Apple has fifteen percent market share, and that is because they have a pretty like comparable product is very similar to Spotify, but it's a little bit different. Like they've got a few different things. They've got like the high fidelity stuff I think they had, and they did some exclusive stuff with artists. Uh, remember when like Kanye or someone would drop it on Apple Music for one week first. Uh, and that's again, like an old school, like tactic in media, right? Like you, you go on HBO first and then it goes everywhere mm -hmm, else or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I think, that is what I think TikTok probably has a better chance at doing it because I think they they execute incredibly well and the algorithmic nature of their algorithm being so powerful and the integration of the videos and music, like that gives them a massive shot. So if I was predicting, which I don't tend to do, but if I was here, I would say a year or two from now, they would have five, 10% share at least in the US, but I don't think it's taken over Spotify because I think Spotify is just like, They've established themselves as the music go-to place, but who knows? I mean, it's, it'll be interesting to see, but I think it's cool they're doing this. Uh, anything else on that, boys? I thought it was worth us bringing up because kind of no, in our room. One other and, uh, thing that I didn't bring up is that there is a little uh, like TikTok-style discovery product or mini product inside Spotify, which is really good. Too. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't oh, even they, know they how to navigate feed, to right? it. I think we talked about this. They changed oh, it to more that. video... Yeah, they went feed-ish, right? So they could feed you, not just music. I think it's like A-B test or something, because sometimes I get it, sometimes I don't, but I found a few uh, quality tracks through oh, that, nice. for sure. Yeah, you yeah. always find, Jack will find these songs that's got like 12,000 views on YouTube, and it's an absolute <laughs> banger. It's like, it's like I don't know how you find those, but yeah. Mate, it's not me, it's a freaking algorithm just algorithm feeding it back to me. It knows yeah. you. It Here knows you. It knows you. Why don't we Here finish we with this, guys? Rip yeah. to Bob Barker, longtime host of The Price is Right. We got a lot of comments last week. People like these end of session bants about growing up. Uh, Blah mentioned this. So while we throw this out, I used to watch The Price is Right a ton uh, growing up. It was like part of my after school, um, you know, immigrant uh, refugee parents. They're just like throw this kid in front of TV. Let's get him cultured. What did they, what's up there? What's on the tube? And you got The oh. Price is Right. So what was post school watching circa? Oh. Grade oh, three or four. Geez. I'll tell you right oh, now. Grade three, right. four. That's young. Oh, okay, that? here we go. Seven, eight, or eight nine. maybe? Yeah, eight, nine. So I'll hit you quickly. When Trunk Stunner rolled home, three to four o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Nine-year-old Trunk Stunner shades on. Savage. <laughs> yeah, savage combo. 
The Simpsons followed by the Fresh Ooh, Prince of Bel Air. Nice, oh, there we go. Nice. That was that was hundred percent. I was gonna say Fresh Prince. I, I got one well. for you. Go Ready, ahead. steady, cook. Oh, and countdown. <laughs> got countdown. Wait, is this is this British? Oh this yeah, British? I think so. Yeah. Trung, okay, have yeah. you you've never oh, seen yeah. Countdown, right? No, you guys have. Wait, what's countdown? What is it? What is it? Wait, let's play it, man. It's like is that the is that the anagram one? Do they give them the yeah they'll the give letters? you like different letters and you've got to come up with words yeah yeah okay. uh, like, okay. i'll have a vowel please carol i'll have a consonant <laughs> another vowel and she, her mental math was incredible she, she was, was class so and they good. would do a number round where you'd, they give you a number and you'd pick six numbers and you'd have to get there through the numbers that you drew randomly you'd have to produce the result on the board great great show wait wait right. wait this... wait we need i'm gonna i'm gonna youtube clip it and below what was yours uh, well, no, I don't know if it was age nine, though. But yeah, for me, Fresh Prince every day. But there was like a change from in the UK where you go from the age of watching Nickelodeon, where you got like Rugrats, Hey Arnold, like cartoons. And then you get to the older stuff where you're watching like Fresh Prince. And so there was a TV show, uh, TV channel. Was it called Trouble? I think. Do you remember this? Jack, I it think was so, yeah. Trouble. It was, uh, it was a UK like TV channel. And it was, they had Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Moesha. Remember, Ke uh, no, Keenan Kel was on. Brandy, uh, Brandy. Moesha Brandy, Brandy yeah. right? Brandy, yeah. She was, she was a legend as well. Dude, we um, need to talk about how much fan service our British listeners get. Oh, like, yeah. Bo Old Jack, but I'll drop these like pop culture, pop culture references. I don't even know what Gainsey is. Well, who is Gainsey? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, wait, you guys dropped so many pop culture references from the uh, from the UK. I have no idea. I haven't well, heard a there single was also, Gainsey song in my life. What the, the no, Stormzy? No, Stormzy. <laughs> Gainsey is the Twitter guy, man. He's the guy on Twitter this talking about crypto. I, mean. I think. Yeah, yeah, you guys yeah. Are I was cracking so, so much that my no. camera just fell. But yeah, um, no, and I will say, Trung, there was also, yeah, there was a time where like Sister Sister was the Nickelodeon. It was the transition from watching Rugrats, Hey Arnold, to like TV shows, Sister Sister, Sabrina, Teenage Witch, with your boy oh, yeah, Salem. You remember him? Oh, Salem. yeah, she was. And what's her name? Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller. Oh, Woo. yeah. Woo! Yeah, Buffy yeah. the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> oh, yeah, Buffy. 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 I never got saying, into that. But actually, was, you want to mm. know, let, let me throw one more out there. Did you guys ever do X-Files? Oh, yeah, a little bit. I never got into it fully, but a little bit. It's My brother watched scary, it. scary, dude. Yeah. Do you guys ever do Red Shoe Diaries? I didn't do that shit. No, I never watched that. What about Are You Afraid of the Dark? Was that a show that oh, yeah, made yeah, it yeah. there? Yeah, they had that. That Are was also quite young. But no, you, I would. Keenan and Kelda. No, Mysteries, the oh, scariest yeah. show in the history of mankind. Those reenactments, dude, and that song at the beginning, and the host, dude. I was watching Unsolved Mysteries in my late twenties, and that shit, I couldn't <laughs> sleep, man. Is this when you'd be reading Goosebumps? Do you remember those books? Yeah, yeah, Goosebumps. Yeah. They were the Goosebumps when you touched the cover, class. and it had like a absolute class. That was pretty incredible, man. Yeah, that hey, was memory lane, man. Memory lane. That was a good. Uh, no, but for me, it was 100% Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, man. Every day, 4 o'clock. And then uh, and, Friends and came Viv, on at 5. Uncle Phil. Uncle Phil, yeah. And uh, Jazzy Jeff, we get thrown Jazzy out the Jeff, door. Always throw, always throw out the door. That oh, was my man. favorite, man. All right, beautiful way to cover it off, boys. Yeah, All right, dude. let's uh, call it here. Thanks for being everyone. We'll see you next week. Amazing. Peace. Cheers.